1: All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen. And today I'm excited to bring a book that I don't actually have a whole lot of experience in this area, which I think is really interesting for me and really interesting for you, but something that I think we see on the news all the time. And then also an angle that we don't quite see very often. So I think it's a really great great tool and, and, and window for all of us. And this is Romeo and Juliet in Palestine. From Zero Books, and this is published in 2015. And uh, with me today, we have the author, um, Tom Sperlinger. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. And uh, Tom is a reader in English literature and community engagement at the University of uh, Bristol. Um, Before we maybe get started on the book, uh, Tom, can you maybe give us a little background about yourself? How did you get interested in in sort of uh, English literature and, and education? Um, okay. So I did, um,
0: uh, I did an English literature degree and then I fell kind of by accident, um, after I graduated into doing, um, adult education teaching in Liverpool, which was, was where I'd study. And, um, that's sort of by some beautiful accident become kind of my career. So I'm based in the English department of Bristol, but most of the work I do is still in the the field really about our education. Um, so for example, at Bristol, we've got a degree that's just taught in the evening and the students come in often after they've been working or once family stuff is done during the day. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, that's that's my background at Bristol.
1: Okay. And I think that's certainly an important note when, especially when we consider the juxtaposition for the book. And maybe yes. if we can, uh, if we can get started, uh, you essentially Went and taught uh, at, a, at a university uh, in in Palestine, and yeah. and that's sort of the perspective you're bringing, and the, and even some of the comparisons. Can you can you talk about maybe give us the the background? What what is this university? How did you even get involved in this? Uh, it's kind of an interesting just just to set it up.
0: Yeah. Well, so the the story of this book begins with another book. Um, in 2008, I chaired an event at a literary festival in England with Sari Nasebi, who is from a very prominent Jerusalem Palestinian family. Um, And he was there to talk about uh, a book he'd written called Once Upon a Country, which is about his life and also his family history. Um, But he was also the president of Al-Quds University um, until last year, in fact. And so um, we stayed in touch. I went to visit the university a couple of times, got to know people in the English department, and then, as you say, off, off the back of that, ended up going out to teach for a semester
1: in in 2013. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. And so um, can, can you tell us sort of about that university, maybe uh, a little about the students and uh, potentially what, what were you teaching there?
0: OK, uh, so Al-Quds is the Arabic name for Jerusalem. So, um if there is such a thing in kind of ordinary times, Al-Quds would be the University of Jerusalem. But because of the way the situation is currently, the university is in this sort of uniquely odd position because it has a small campus in Jerusalem in the city. And then its main campus is in a town called Abediz, which is in the West Bank. And that means if you're and that's that's where I was based, um, the, the campus in Abu and on that campus, if you come out the front gate, the first thing you see is the wall. So the wall is the, is the other side of the road. And you, you also, if you stand on that road, you can see Jerusalem over the other side of the wall. And that means some of the students who go to the campus in every day live in Jerusalem. But it takes them about an hour and a half to get to school because they have to go a kind of a long route via checkpoints and so on. Um, It means that the wall is a kind of constant presence. You can see it kind of wherever you are on campus. But it also means that the university has become sort of oddly invisible in Israeli bureaucracy because all the other West Bank universities register with the Israeli Council of Higher Education as foreign universities and all the sort of Arab and Palestinian universities in Israel register with the authorities. But Al Quds University is neither. It's got a campus in what Israel would consider Israel. It's got a campus in the West Bank. And that means, for example, if you're a student who lives in Jerusalem but is studying medicine on the uh, Abu campus, when you qualify as a doctor, you can't then practice in Israel because you sort of technically your degree doesn't exist because the university isn't recognized. So, it, in a way, Al Quds University is right on the front line of some of the kind of practical ways in which the political situation filters down into everyday life. Mm.
1: And you were teaching uh, English literature and, and special subject, or can you, can you kind of talk about what that like what that looked like?
0: Yeah. So what, one of the, one of the funny things for me, I think was was um, going to this place that was so different, but going into a, A syllabus that was actually quite traditional. So I was teaching on a pretty traditional English literature undergrad course, and I taught a Shakespeare module, and I taught um, a module called Special Topics in Literature, where we ended up reading uh, short stories, mostly nineteenth-century short stories.
1: Okay, and uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the book is sort of, or I guess the book is sort of about your sort of um, immersion in this environment. So. So if we could, what what was it like uh, meeting your students at that initial time or first arriving at the university?
0: So I think I was lucky that I'd been for a couple of visits before, and that meant I knew a little bit about what I was getting into. I'd sat in on some classes and all those kind of things. One thing I'd say is I think the students were kind of quite skeptical about me to begin with, Mm -hmm. you know, partly for good reasons. I think they'd um, had experiences in the past with, you know, visiting lecturers coming in and not always staying for the whole semester or or being there for a whole sort of range of reasons. So I think they, I certainly felt a slight sense that I had to prove myself to them in ways that are probably healthy. Um, But they were also, you know, in in just straightforward ways, very welcoming. Um, And I think what was kind of exhilarating and terrifying for me for about the first half of the semester was that I had this constant sense of the unknown every time I went into the classroom. I could never predict how the students were going to respond to a particular scene in Julius Caesar or what they were going to make of the short story I'd assigned them that week. And that partly meant I was always afraid of putting my foot in it, of coming across some sort of a uh, cultural assumption that I'd misunderstood, or or something in the story they would respond negatively to that I hadn't anticipated, but it also meant that they would go off on these incredible tangents I hadn't expected, and that was very exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe if we can get into some of those things, I think you you know you talk about in the book uh, how how imagining Julius Caesar becomes becomes much different in in the environment that we're ta- that we're talking about. Can you? Can you maybe just give us a little piece of uh, sort of that experience and, and what, what you found?
0: Well, partly it's, there's always a kind of question when you read Julius Caesar about um, uh, kind of which, which side are you on when you're reading Julius Caesar, kind of who's the hero? Are, are you on the conspirator's side or are you on um, Julius Caesar's side? And I think one thing that um, was very striking, and if you're living in the West Bank, one one of, the, one of the features of the experience, it seemed to me, is living in a context where the political situation is such a mess, actually, and you're not presented with many forms of authority that you can really kind of trust or rely on. And actually, I think that some of that bled into how the students were reading Julius Caesar. I think they had quite an acute sense of what it might be like to live in a political situation where... Um, the the status quo is kind of bad or corrupt or difficult, but actually any attempt to change it also seems to be uh, something you might be quite suspicious of. Mm. So I think that was was one feature of it on a larger level. On a smaller level, what was interesting was individual scenes would sometimes seem very different. So there's a thing I talk about in the book where, towards the end of the play as the conspiracy is unraveling. um, One of the sort of lowlier conspirators is caught by some soldiers and he pretends that he's Brutus. And it's a very odd moment because you're not sure whether he's pretending that he's Brutus to protect himself because he thinks they might treat him better if he says he's Brutus or to protect Brutus because they might kill him thinking he's Brutus. But actually talking about that scene to a group of students who sort of daily would encounter soldiers um, who they felt were not on their side, as it were, and where you might daily be having that gambit about what you told the soldiers about your identity and wh- what kind of questions you were being asked, you know, it's, it's a very different question from asking it in a in a seminar room uh, in the UK.
1: Right, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think you you know, you, you named the whole book after Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So, so clearly, and then even, I think you in sort of, uh, uh, the book uh, with sort of a, a re-understanding of, 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 that story. Um, why, why such an impact, um, with Romeo and Juliet? What, how, how come that hit you so hard? I think, um, I think it was a
0: mixture of things. I mean, I think, um, Probably in terms of the language, I think Romeo and Juliet is, is a slightly more accessible Shakespeare play. And I think that allowed us to get really kind of deep into it fairly quickly and deep into the story fairly quickly in, in a way that the students enjoyed. But also I got them to do an exercise where they, I asked them to imagine that they graduated and they were working for a film company and that they had been given the job of working out how to rework Romeo and Juliet as a play in Palestine and uh, gave them sort of key questions. So kind of, where do you set the play? And as well as having your main location, where is Romeo banished to, um, you know, the other kind of key location and how do you do that geography? And when is the play set? And do, do you fill in some of the details of so what's the dispute between the families about and all those sorts of things? One thing that's interesting is that the, you know, you hear about Romeo and Juliet as a story in relation to Israel and Palestine. And it's often kind of uh, reinterpreted where you have one of the protagonists as Israeli and one of them as Palestinian. And that came up occasionally. But in most of the rewrites, what the students saw were the kind of divisions they faced with other people they considered to be Palestinian. So, the way in which the geographical divide between the West Bank and Gaza or between Palestinians in Israel and the West Bank might might cause problems in a love story or historic disputes between Christian um, and Muslim Palestinians, for example. Um, so it was kind of interesting the way in which um, there seemed to be so many different takes the students could then come up with with that,
1: the kind of raw ingredients of that story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you could, if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of, I know you, you you went into the situation, I think really understanding, um, what, what's sort of going on there. And I think you even brought in different sorts of literature, um, or at least mentioned it in the book, like Edward Said, for instance, and sort of this idea of, of, um, uh, The colonized, colonizer, those kinds of things. Can you talk about how that was sort of um, uh, taken by the students?
0: So, so how did they respond to something like Edward Said? Yeah, but
1: also with you as sort of an outsider coming in and and, and your background and things like that.
0: Um, That's a that's a good question. Um, I think uh, it was something that we got to a bit later in the semester in a way. We started to talk about it much more explicitly, I think, towards the end of the semester, maybe when the students had got to know me better. Mm. And we did, in one of the final exams, I actually got them to talk about the question of whether they should be studying more Palestinian or at least comparative literature on the degree, as well as kind of straight English literature. And they produced some really interesting um, responses to that. I think the the thing, the thing I felt when I first went there was, um, I maybe I'm the wrong person to do this. When well, you know, when I first got there, I thought well, actually what they really need is an expert on postcolonial literature or comparative literature who can, um, in in a sense, bring them something that's a bit more relevant. But actually, I think in some ways, what was useful about the situation was that I turned up with my particular expertise, you know, which actually was more on the traditional end of English literature. And that enabled me to say to the students that you're the experts on Palestine. You're the ones who know about what life is like here. And part of the deal here is that you're gonna teach me about some of that, but also you're gonna bring that to what we're reading and that's gonna change my understanding of what we're reading as well as yours. And, And we need to make that kind of part of the dialogue. And that, the students said much later, that that was something that they had really liked and responded to and and found was a way of them then accessing what we were reading, but also building up some sort of dialogue with me, I think. Mm. Um, So, yeah, just in practical terms, I think that was the way that we found around it. I mean, the students had in other bits of their course often more explicitly studied things like Edward Said Mm. or had in fact studied some... Palestinian literature in, in translation. So but some of the issues also came up peripherally because they were um, already aware of
1: it. Sure. sure. Maybe if we can um, <laughs> uh, hop back into sort of understanding these students. I mean, not, not everything about them is, is different than, than students back in, in the UK. Can, can you talk about, you know, what, what are some of the similarities? What, what are they wanting to do after after university? And what do they do in university?
0: Um, yeah, I think, I think there are lots of similarities. I mean, the, um, partly for some of them, um, university is a really fun time, um, you know, and also a time, uh, where they are free of kind of family responsibilities and that actually a a lot of my students were did get married while they were still students or would get married not long afterwards. So I think, University represented as it does um, in the u k and i 'm sure in the u s sometimes a sort of mid social space between family life in its two incarnations um, and so that that was certainly familiar I mean one of the peculiarities of life in the West Bank is that um, although a very high percentage of young people go to university, there are actually very few of what we would think of as kind of graduate jobs. And so, um, I remember thinking when I was there gosh i don't I don't really have a sense of what my students are going to be doing in a year's time or two years' time and I've stayed in touch with some of them and have been following that and and a lot of them are struggling to find work effectively. Some of them have gone on to be teachers, which is the thing English grads do all over the world um, but Others of them are sort of trying to make their way in other professions but finding that very, very hard just mm-hmm. because there's such a uh, an absence of infrastructure, such an absence of um, the kind of work that, in a sense, their degree might have uh, prepared them for.
1: Okay. And uh, if, if we could, maybe if you can talk about, you know, why? Why did you feel you you had to write this book? Was there in sort of an inspiring, you know, one thing that just just got to you? You're like, oh, I need to put uh, a pen onto paper, or was it just a, was it a build up? Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
0: Um, I think it, it as often with these things, it it happened in stages, and so I wrote um I wrote an article, and I, when I'd written the article, I thought I'm kind of done, you know that that. That's um, all I wanted to say. And then I I sort of found um, partly that um, the experience was so powerful and was so strongly present and I didn't know what to do with it. So writing the article didn't make that feeling uh, kind of go away. And so I was persuaded by people to do a proposal for a book and um, then I got a contract and then I have to say I thought, oh, my God, now I have to do this. <laughs> right. um, and I think that the, the other thing I had to work out in that process was what this book was about because, you know, I was there five months, which isn't that long. Um, it, I didn't feel in a position to write, uh, you know, in any sense a kind of definitive book about Palestine or even about life at Al-Quds University. But what I did find I wanted to be writing about and was kind of excited about writing about was teaching and particularly teaching as a kind of uh, encounter with people who are very different than you. Mm. Um, there's, a, um, there's a lovely phrase Paulo Freire has where he's talking about teaching and he talks about teaching and love and the notion of love as kind of commitment to others. And I think that is really resonant for me with, with something about teaching the idea of it as this, uh, potentially this relationship in which you're learning from people who are so kind of different from you, whether that's because they live in such different society or they live in the same society as you, but they've had very different life experiences. And I think that I it, it was writing about that and, and that aspect of teaching and why I think it matters that became the really sort of exciting thing to write about actually and the thing that, that felt in some curious way quite urgent.
1: Hmm. Oh, okay if uh, if you give another chance would you would you go back and, and teach again or has that crossed your mind?
0: Absolutely I mean I'm in touch with, um, with people out there I've been back for a short visit I mean it's worth saying that the unfortunately the situation has if anything deteriorated there yeah. at the moment and Things are tense in the West Bank generally, but um, uh, actually at Al Quds, there um, has been a lot of problems over the last few weeks, and um, a lot of run-ins in that area between uh, Israeli soldiers and students, and um, between Israeli soldiers and the local population. So, I I worry a bit about the future of Al Quds University. I think it's in a very vulnerable position. Um, but yeah, I mean if there was the right project to go back, I would.
1: Did did you feel any of that when you were there it sounded like it was much sort of more uh, uh stable uh than than potentially right now Sorry I I missed that question uh, can you can you talk about uh the sort of safety issues or any of those things I think that's probably one of the the first things when people hear about when when you're uh you know you're in Palestine or in, in this uh West Bank uh how did you feel safety wise when you when you were there
0: I I mean, I personally never felt at risk, Um, you know, and there were um, you were certainly kind of aware of living in a context where things could escalate very, very quickly. Um, But actually, um, I the, the curious other side to that is that the West Bank, because it's slightly cut off is still a very family-dominated society, and uh, there's a very strong sense of community and network and so on. So people do look out for each other and news channels quite fast, and uh, people are always referring you to someone else they know or their friends whenever you visit another place. So there were, there were odd ways in which I felt, for those reasons, quite uh, sort of safe. Mm-hmm. What I worried about much more was the safety of my students actually. Sure, sure, because they um, you, you know they, they exist in a slight kind of vacuum they don't really have proper recognized rights as individuals and that meant that I would constantly worry that that, that idea that a situation could escalate actually
1: was much more dangerous for them right than it was for me right right well I, I think we're um, coming to, to sort of the the end of our uh, discussion um, if you could, though, maybe tell our viewers if there's one sort of takeaway or, or sort of one thing that that we can think about um, for this book, uh, what, what would you like to to say with that? Um, I, I think
0: there's a there's a bit at the beginning of the book um, where I talk about um, a conversation I had with some students about kind of what was happening in the classroom where I said to them, they were kind of trying to get out of me almost what I thought the right answer was for this particular topic that we've been talking about. And I said, you know, I think the worst kind of class is one where I, as the teacher, know exactly how things are going to end. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I kind of use that as, um, in a way, a way of framing how I'm trying to write the book. I mean, I partly wrote the book out of this kind of, really urgent sense when I came back from Palestine of wanting people to kind of understand what what things are like there and, and what I'd kind of witnessed or and to a lesser extent experienced. But I also wanted it to be a kind of book where um, there was some of that openness as well, where I didn't necessarily know quite what a reader would do with it. Mm. Um, and there'd be space for a reader to kind of then come to their own conclusions on the basis of of what I describe, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess at that point it's it 's over to a reader whether they agree that that works or not, but um that that 's certainly the way in which I hope the writing of the book slightly reflects the things that i 'm talking about in terms of teaching as well mm, that's I think that's a that's a great takeaway thank you
1: uh, and th- usually uh, the last question that we we ask on on the new books networks um what what are you working on next? what are you writing uh any kind of projects that we could we can look forward to
0: so i'm doing a project at the moment i 'm working with a charity in Bristol called Ideal Community Action and they work with um sort of individuals and communities who've been affected by issues like drug addiction um sort of high levels of offending uh, in that community people coming out of prison and people who've been long-term unemployed and they do educational work with them so reading groups philosophy circles uh, they recently did a kind of enterprise course and I'm at the moment involved in uh, running the reading groups with them and I'm hoping to do some writing about that experience and also to do some writing with the participants in the reading groups so that's that's my kind of next project, but I'm just at the very early stages of it. So I don't quite know what the, uh, the end of it will look like.
1: Sure. No, no problem at all. understand that. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation and, and thank you for coming and, and giving us this, uh, enlightening talk on a, on a subject that, that really, you know, higher education in Palestine, I don't think is, is talked about very often. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, and, To all my audience, I want you to go check out Romeo and Juliet in Palestine from Zero Books, published 2015. And I want to thank uh, Tom Sperlinger. It was great talking to you and to everyone out there. Uh, I hope you learned something.